Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast. I'm Connor Whiteley, bringing you with psychology news, articles and other interesting psychology related articles. You where I can find the podcast notes and more interesting psychology related things and you can get your free 8 psychology book box set at connorwhiteley.net. Now let's get on to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 128 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Colin Whiteley. And today's episode is on 5 new ways to keep your brain healthy and reduce your risk of dementia. So it's great to be back after the Christmas break. So but this is now a live episode and it's so good to be back. I really hope and I'm looking forward to doing the podcast. So I wish that you all had a very happy Christmas, a wonderful new year or whatever else you like, a celebrator. But as it's now at 2022... Well, I'm really like looking forward to like moving on to like the new year and just exploring the year and just seeing like what comes up. Like lots of plans. So many great episodes are coming like this year, so I really am pleased. And the reason why I wanted to do today's episode because I was looking at the different books that I'm releasing. Like the week after this one like goes out is Coach Psychology, which I think is an absolutely brilliant book. Definitely pre-order it if you can. And then the week after, it's police psychology. Again, an absolutely brilliant forensic psychology topic that you're going to love. So what that means is that there's two or three Mondays of like this month. So I needed to plan what was I going to do. And it was either going to be a dementia or a suicide topic. And I'm thinking, first episode for me back, I think I'm going to do a slightly lighter hearted topic of dementia. So but that's the thinking behind um, today's episode. And it is... Friday the 7th of January 2021 as I record to this. So a moon on psychology news section within from the British Psychological Society Researcher Digest and if you subscribe to that list then you will definitely see that this was one from the week before Christmas. So the first one is watching a lecture twice at a double speed can benefit learning better than watching it once at normal speed. Now before I jump into the article, this one I was really happy about when you know but like when I saw the headline because all of my audio I listen to at a at two times speed, whether it's lectures, podcasts, online courses, etc. And basically it's like gotten to the point where unless I listen to someone at two times speed, I find that they talk so slow and so boring. So it's just sort of like um like that though. Lecture videos is now a major part of many students' university experiences. Some say they prefer them to live lectures, as you can choose when to study. And according to a survey of students at the University of California, Los Angeles, at least many students also take advantage of the fact that the video playback can be sped up, so cutting the amount of time they spend on lectures. But what impact does the speed up doing have on the learning? The answer, according to a new paper in Applied Cognitive Psychology, is that within some limits, none. In fact, if you strategically, it can actually improve learning, However, what students think is going to be the best strategy isn't actually what's most beneficial. Dylan Murley at UCLA and her colleagues also report. So uh, this is a really good psychology news article though, simply because for university students, we've, I don't know really, I think it's been a good two years now with that that we've been doing online learning. And yes, I'm on my placement, but online learning will, will continue. Plus, I'm basically always doing an online course in something of another. So I do this a lot. Yeah, well, like, a lot of like, various degrees, though. 
but to know that listening to something or yes or actually like watching something at a double speed is actually beneficial that's a great and and to, and to be honest it's actually quite validating because I'm always concerned to that because I can only listen to stuff at two times speed or faster sometimes I'm a concerned that I might miss something but it really does depend on the speaker because I doubt any of you listen to me on two times speed because I already talk quite fast. But then there's other people who talk really slowly and it's those people that I sadly just have to listen on, on like two times speed simply because simply because of how the um, auditory parts of my brain work. Speaking of which, I was actually having a conversation with someone the other day and because of neuroplasticity, I wouldn't actually be surprised if the auditory um, parts of my brain like, have actually grown now to become like more efficient because, you know, like, because I'm listening to stuff faster and faster. So like, it's just a thought. So well, the next one is, fear of spiders may have its evolutionary roots in aversion to scorpions. Open quote. But they won't hurt you. They eat bugs. They're our friends. Close a quote. I've tried to tell my now 12-year-old or were these things many times over the years, but his uh, fear of spiders persists. It's hardly a rare fear. An estimated 6% of the general population suffers from full-blown arachnophobia. The leading explanation is that our ancestors are those to fear spiders, and that this is what they've passed on to us. But there are a few problems with this pointed out by the authors of a new paper in Scientific Reports. First, only 5% of uh, spider species are potentially dangerous to uh, humans. Secondly, these species are, not, are mostly not found in Africa, where modern humans are those, but rather Australia and, and South America, the two continents that have been most recently colonised by people. Given this idea of an above generalised fear of spiders doesn't seem that compelling, Daniel Fire at Charles University Prague and her colleagues had another idea. Perhaps we are those not to fear essentially harmless spiders, but dangerous close relatives with a similar body part plan, scorpions, and our brains overgeneralized, reacting to spiders in a similar way. To investigate this, they ran a study that would have left my 12-year-old with the nightmares for months. And that's just in a case like you were like, skip like some of that, that wasn't me talking in like first person. And, but this is actually quite a brilliant idea because I do not understand where some psychology people would get it, but they think that, but that people are trying to prove that evolutionary theory yeah, can be applied to all human behaviour. Granted, I think that is the focus of evolutionary psychology, but we know, we just know that that is flat wrong. Not all behaviours like, although because some of them just do not make sense whatsoever. For example, homosexuality. I cannot see how that has an um, evolutionary explanation, considering the whole part of yeah, but like considering the whole point of evolution is to ensure that the species survives. Some evolutionary theory, though, is always really useful in psychology, but it does have limits. So it's always a good that we are trying to like rethink about it. But if we build upon the second point, though, we know from cognitive psychology that our brains do have a terrible habit of overgeneralizing us. This is very plausible and it's actually very interesting. And I almost put my hand in boiling hot coffee. So we're moving on to the last one. Oral history study explores what it's like to receive an autism diagnosis later in life. 
A key development in autism research in the last 20 odd years has been the use of less vigorous methods such as interviews, fieldwork and surface instead of those based on a standardised measure or other lab-based tasks. Task the looser approaches in a tandem with increased popularity of autobiographical writing by autistic people have served to come to complement more traditional research by adding nuance and detail to the understanding of the condition. Now, a team from Australia, led by Rosanna Lilly, has used such an approach with uh, a population underrepresented in autism research, namely late diagnosed adults. The author conducted oral research with 26 autistic adults born before 1975, thus growing up before the condition was widely known and diagnosed when over the age of 35. Lily and her colleagues were interested in how participants' sentence of their own identity change and, uh, and how receiving a diagnosis may have impacted it. So I'm actually not going like, to click on it and actually go in that's like any great depth. But there is something that I do want to point out, though, is that I really do understand the whole annoying point about this sort of like research though because the vast majority of autism research and the um, research on any mental health condition does tend to always focus exclusively on one sort of a population for example autism research that tends to exclusively focus focus on young children but so does the public discourse though because I cannot remember the last conversation I had where non-psychology people spoke about autism in adults and like how it affects them because of course we still have our challenges to it so so but the takeaway from this psychology article is that whenever you are researching and actually want to look into things like take a step back and actually make sure that you're looking at or you're at least trying to address how it affects everyone and not just one core main population because you might find something quite surprising if you look at a different population so just like something to think about. So and now that's enough for psychology news session. Let's move on to the personal update. So in actual fact, <laughs> I'm actually going to skip the personal, yeah, but the personal update because I actually just tried to record it. But because I'm actually on my university break, there's actually nothing psychology related related about that I'm actually doing. So I'm actually going to skip the personal update. So as always, I always love to hear your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can always email me, conwhiteley.net. You can always leave the comment on the show notes at conwhiteley.net forward slash podcast. And you can always tweet me on Twitter at SciFiWhiteley. I always love to hear from all of you because it really helps make the podcast feel more like a conversation. And today's episode has been sponsored by Cognitive Psychology. Now, this is always such a brilliant book when it comes to dementia because dementia really does affect our brain and our cognitive processes like our thinking and our memories. And what cognitive psychology allows you to do is that it allows you to really understand how memory, how our thinking works. And there's also a very special section on semantic dementia, which which we've not covered before on the podcast. This is such a great, really in-depth, easy-to-understand book that I cannot recommend because it really will help you um, develop a deeper understanding of today's episode. So that is Cognitive Psychology, a guide to neuropsychology, neuroscience and cognitive psychology. Third edition available from all major ebook retailers and you can order the paperback and the hardback versions from Amazon, your local bookstore or local library if you request it. And if you didn't want to buy a book but you still wanted to give the podcast a bit of like one-time support, then you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Connor Whitey. 
So let's move on to today's podcast episode. So we're moving on to the content part of today's episode. So we're going to be looking at five new ways to reduce dementia risk and to keep your brain healthy. And the entire point of today's episode is that we're going to be continuing with our look at dementia, which, as I've said before, will be a focus in 2021. So I wanted to share with you some ways to risk of getting dementia and keeping your brain healthy. And the first major point that I really wanted to highlight is that people, and I'm no exception, in all honesty, I do not think about this. I do not blame you if you don't think about this. But people tend to think about these methods to keep their brain healthy later in their life but it's important to think about keeping your brain healthy in any age or any part of your life. Life, though, Because dementia experts say that keeping your brain healthy in your 40s and 50s is critical when it comes to preventing dementia. But whenever you decide to make changes to keep your brain healthy, you will see an overall benefit at your health. So even though I'm a 20, yes, like the chance of me getting dementia might be like minuscule like now, like in the future i'm still going to try and protect my brain and and keep it healthy now we're just in the long term i know that the chance of me getting dementia is hopefully minuscule so we're five ways avoid smoking so we've all heard the different ways that smoking damages your physical health and it links to a number of different medical conditions but in terms of your your mind and mental health Health, a study has shown that your smoking increases your risk of developing diseases like Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. And as psychology students and, to, and our professionals, we all know the psychology of addiction and why it's hard to give up smoking. But maybe thinking about it as a way to protect your brain, reduce your risk and preserve, and preserve your cognitive abilities for the long term, that might just give you or your loved ones the motivation to stop. And even though I don't smoke, I know people who would do, and it is really hard for them to stop. So, so just so you know, I'm not trying to make like giving up smoking that's like really easy because I know it's not. Staying connected, and this part definitely links to the episode called "How 100 Year Olds Keep Their Mind Sharp." And that is a great podcast episode to go back and listen to. I think it was in December. I think it was in November, December 2021, because that's really an important one. Because as we're talking about dementia, this is very important to stay connected with people regardless of our age. As it's staying connected means that we still have to absorb lots of the different social stimuli that keeps our minds sharp, engaged and active. And all of this contributes to keeping our brains healthy. And this is why it's a good idea to join clubs, go to senior centres and be active in older age <laughs> as it keeps them connected to a wider society. Also, there are more and more researchers are suggesting that enjoyable face-to-face interactions can slow down the symptoms of dementia. For example, deteriorating memory as listening and responding to people requires quick thinking and responding. Keeping your blood pressure and cholesterol in check. And something that I was starting to realise when I at this point in the blog post was that I was starting to realise how many different areas of psychology dementia fits into as it touches on a clinical, cognitive, biological psychology and more. But honestly, that is what keeps dementia really interesting for me. And that's why I want it to be a focus on 2022. Anyway, so having higher blood pressure and high cholesterol can cause you to experience a lot of different health problems. So it's important to keep them in a check as well as keeping them in a check does reduce your risk of developing dementia. 
So some of the ways that you can actually reduce your cholesterol is, is by you because reduce your consumption of biscuits, cheese, red meats. And, <laughs> and of course, I'm recording this early um, January and we've just had a Christmas. I cannot actually think how much red meat and how much cheese I ate. Oh, yes. And of course, biscuits during like, you know, but like during like at that time, though, but it's January. It's a healthy time. And you can also reduce your cholesterol by increasing the amount of fruit, vegetables and oily fish that you eat. Eating well and balanced. Now this one I did want to make a very clear point on because, because of course we've all heard about eating well and eating a balanced diet constantly. Time and time again we've heard about eating a balanced diet. But no one ever tells you what a balanced diet actually is. Like if you watch any um, health food advert, like any like diet or supplement, they will say um, something along the lines of it to be eaten as part of a balanced diet. But no one tells you what a balanced diet is. So I'm actually going to explain it here though. But first, eating well and balanced is a great way to reduce your risk of developing several health conditions in later life. And what it means is that eating a balanced diet could help you reduce your risk of dementia by reducing your risk of cardiovascular disease. And eating well means eating healthy, but it doesn't mean cutting fats out altogether. As some fats, like those found in oily fish, nuts, seeds and, uh, and avocados do a uh, do have health benefits as well as a good balance of fibre, fruit, vegetables every week can, can go a long way to keeping your body healthy and to giving it the nourishment it means. So there you have it, that's what a balanced diet means. <laughs> and in a case I'm losing anyone because this is a psychology podcast and they don't exactly see a psychology connection. The connection is by keeping it in your brain healthy and the brain is instantly covered by cognitive, biological and neuropsychology too. Is that it reduces your risk of developing various conditions that can cause your cognitive abilities to decline which results in your behaviour changing. And as the human behaviour is the purpose of our psychology, that's the connection in, in case you were lost a bit. So the last one. Exercise and uh, keep uh, your brain active. So I know that I mentioned this in uh, the last uh, podcast episode, but I want to remind you of it because keeping your brain both mentally and socially active is lighter to reducing it in your risk of dementia as it keeps your brain busy and processing information. This can be as simple as learning, doing puzzles, crosswords, or listening to a certain psychology podcast like you are now, or reading like non-fiction books. <laughs> Overall, it's about keeping your brain active and making sure it has a new information to process because that's the real key. It's all about keeping your brain active. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and that you got something out of it. If you know someone who would benefit from today's episode, then please share it with them. I'm always really grateful when wonderful people help spread the word about the podcast. And from now on, when it comes to dementia podcast episodes, we start to look at the stuff that no one actually talks about when it comes to dementia because now that we've basically covered the um, dementia basics but now I want us to go to the more advanced stuff if you want to call it that. So if you want a deeper understanding of a of a cognitive psychology then definitely check out Cognitive Psychology, a guide to neuroscience, neuropsychology and cognitive psychology third edition available in all the usual places and if you wanted you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash connorwhitey so have a great day everyone and i'll see you next time thanks for listening today 
I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see the show notes, then please go to connorwhitely.net. And if you want a free Ada book psychology box set, then please go to connorwhitely.net. Have a great day and I'll see you next time.